up, everyone? Welcome into the PHNX Rising Podcast. We are here in a little bit of a different studio than usual. It's kind of racking my brain around it. We're doing the best we can for those of you who are listening on audio. You can't see it, but you got to just take my word for it. But I am Mr. Max David Simpson and joined by a man who loves pina coladas and getting caught in the rain, Mr. Owen Evans. What, where did that come from? <laughs> I told you, buddy. I got you on the intro. You know? Yeah, yeah, you, you know, did, you're yeah. little San Diego, yeah. little little beach beach guy soaking in yeah, all. Yeah, I didn't didn't really go with the pina coladas. I'll be honest. Did you um, get caught in the rain? I it did rain a little bit there actually. Oh, yeah, to be fair, it rained. Well, for two ain't bad. It rained. Okay, it rained in San okay. in San Diego. Yeah. So happy happy first day of the Open Cup. Dude, for those who celebrate, for those who celebrate, man, it's time get your Westchester United at the moment trailing Ocean City Nor'easters mm. by a scoreline of three to one, uh, despite the fact that Westchester have got a an XG of about twice as much as uh, Ocean City. So it's really that time of year. Yeah, it's mm. that time of year. Gosh, it's I that time it. of year. Oh man, well hey, we got a lot to get. Let's see, Mel Mikey in the chat. Guys, make, make me, we're not making you miss anything, man. You're choosing to watch us. We appreciate you. Well, hey, we got a lot. To get into today, um, really, we want to first take a look back at, you know, this past Sunday's game, the 3-0 defeat against San Diego. We talked a bit about a bit on our postgame show. Any additional thoughts or any, like, change of opinion come about since then? Nice and vague there. Of course, what? Max throws it in the most negative light possible. Let's <laughs> no, toss no, no, that no, scoreline no, out no, there, no, right? No, Three no, no, loss. no, Three no, loss. no, was that bad. wasn't yeah. vague. That wasn't vague. That was a matter of fact. Three, no, we already, way you could if possibly you would have watched our, no, 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 if you would have watched our postgame show as the pe- fine people did, they already would have known that we said the three nil scoreline did not reflect the actual game. Because I am sitting. I am stating a fact that it was three nil. I'm curious if anyone has had change of opinion. That's all. I didn't. I did not put it any other way, sir. This negativity, man. Oh my gosh, there is no negativity. How will we possibly? Yeah. Anyway, how? No, no talking seriously. <laughs> oh my though. gosh. Talking seriously about it now. I yeah. think um, something that we didn't necessarily twig. We didn't really talk about this much on on Sunday. But let's talk. There's a good start actually. I mean, talk about expected goals actually. Yeah. Um, well, when we really want to break down the idea of okay, did did Phoenix Rising deserve to lose three 0 in that game? We'll run you through the XG, of course. XG, for those of you who don't know, uh, it assigns a value to each shot as to, you know, considering where you are, what kind of shot you're taking, how the ball is played into you, all of where are the defenders, all of those kind of things. It assigns it a value that kind of sums up how many times should that striker be expected to put the ball in the back of the uh, net. Essentially, essentially an, an XG, so an expected goal of yeah. something that's within a six-yard box uncovered is going to have a higher value than something, you know, 30 yards out. Yeah, exactly. So if we look at the expected goals figures from that game, you see it's San Diego Loyal, 1.05. Phoenix Rising, 0.89. Yeah. That's not a kind of game that screams 3-0 at you. Not at all. Of course, the issue, and this is where the distinction is here, is that San Diego were very clinical. San Diego's shots were mostly on target. Seven out of the ten were on target. For Phoenix Rising, three of the 16 shots yeah, I mean, were and, on target. And going even fur- th- further, out of those seven on target for San Diego, three in the back of the net. Like, I mean, that's one out of every two on target shots. One out of every, what is that? Uh, one out of every three shots in general are hitting the back of the net. Like, that is... That just doesn't happen. No, no. Yeah. Well, it did. It happened on. Well, okay, it doesn't. Normally <laughs> it happened happen. on right, Sunday, right, Max. Right. Um, but, but when you 
when you delve into some of that, though, I mean, look, we want to try and take some of the positives here. Yeah. Because there's a lot of negativity going around around this this performance that I think is mostly reflected on the scoreline and not necessarily on the performance as a whole. Because that 3-0 scoreline does not reflect, realistically, what was happening there in that game. I think it's, it's fair to say, as Juan did kind of allude to after the game, he said, look, the, the result is not reflective of the performance. Yeah. I tend to actually agree with that. I think that the 3-0 scoreline is flattering for San Diego Loyal. Um, and I think that actually, if you really delve into it, you'd find that San Diego were giving away a lot of chances uh, that teams are leaving sitting. Phoenix Rising, Detroit City, both left chances on the table that possibly they should have done better with. And... When the, when San Diego comes up against better teams, they're going to struggle in those cases, right? That that's yeah. that's difficult. When you're giving up those chances, yes, you're playing a team like Phoenix Rising that have looked. I'm going to be perfectly frank, quite impotent yep. in the attack. You're playing against Detroit City, who are renowned for being impotent in the attack. They were sure. last year. They've got a new set there this year, but even then, they've lost some key pieces. I I, I just feel as though. They're a team that are really capitalizing on just playing some teams early in the season that are struggling in front of goal. But from Phoenix Rising's perspective, let's take those positives. Let's have a look. We do actually have... uh, One of the things we flagged after the last game was Manuel Arteaga Mm -hmm. and how his heat map, so looking at where he was, where he's playing the ball on the pitch, was pretty poor in our mind from the first one. He wasn't really... For a guy that was a lone number nine, yes. he wasn't getting into the kind of positions that you'd expect against Charleston Battery. A lot of that kind of a lot of the hot spots on there in that heat map, they're in the middle third of the pitch, Correct. right? So, so just just to make sure for those that are on audio, it is, the direction of play is left to right. Essentially, what it's showing is in that first game, the left side of the field. Well, again, not great for audio, but the left side of the field being on the defensive side, the right being on the attacking. To Owen's and th- point. there's not a whole lot in either of the Correct. extremities. There's a little bit around certain parts of the penalty mm-hmm. area against Charleston Battery, but mm-hmm. the vast majority of that the the hot spots in that heat map, they're all down that center third, that Correct. middle third. And what it was showing was that Manuel Artiaga is retreating quite a bit to try and assist in the build-up play. But then that means that conversely, then he's not up there. Correct. When he flicks it on to somebody else, he not being one of the quickest people on the field is not getting back into that position. Now, if you contrast that with the San Diego loyal uh, heat map that he had in that game on Sunday, for those of you again, who can see it here. It's on the right. Mm -hmm. You actually see a lot more. There is a big patch around that penalty spot that he is occupying. There is a big patch to the right side of the penalty area, just outside and going into the penalty area. And does he drop deeper? Yes, yes, he does. There are still some points in there. I mean, the center circle dot is kickoffs. Let's be real. Um, that's, a nice, a nice that's, even why, yeah. that's why you've got a nice circle there, yeah. especially in the San Diego lower map, that is right planted on that uh, center yeah. spot right there. And there's a couple of spots over back where he drops deep, including a little bit of a patch in his own penalty area where when those corners and set pieces are coming in, you want a guy who's capable of winning the ball in the air even as a striker to get back there, because if you're going to play it long anyway, you probably want someone more like a Danny Trejo, who's got that little bit more pace, who's going to to cause a a bit more of a problem in a fast counter-attack in that kind of situation. But you just see a lot more in this 
second uh, heat map there of just him getting involved, getting active in the play in the final third. And that's got to be a positive. 100%. And I think, you know, right, this isn't something where this is wholly based solely on Arteaga and his movement. We definitely noticed that if you watch both matches, the buildup against Charleston Battery was just not there. It was something where you wanted to see the team knock it around, but really they knocked it around through the back. They were trying to play out the back like, you know, completely extensively. And Arteaga was just not high enough up the field to really benefit. And that's why you saw for large stretches of that first match in the season opener, there was just really no way for him to get the ball. Rising as a whole barely even crossed in to Charleston's opposition. Now, you contrast that against the San Diego Loyal match where the passing out the back was much better. They were able to bypass that into the midfield. And we'll talk about it in a bit, but really the addition of Carlos Harvey, I believe, really helped to progress that forward. But that's where you show that Arteaga was able to get in a bit more, have touches in dang more dangerous areas. And honestly, he did have a little bit of like a physicality up front. You know, he was, you know, you know, he had drew a couple fouls, but he was really pressing, getting high up the field. And, you know, yes, we, you know, we already touched on a chat. I see Mike saying that, um, you know, there earlier that he definitely had a, a was it, I should have had 1.0 XG himself uh, for that miss that he had in uh, the match against San Diego. But he's getting in better positions. And that to me is a byproduct of the team passing better as a whole yeah and i mean that 1.0 xg let's be perfectly frank he didn't take a shot i don't believe on that attempt so it doesn't even count for the purposes of xg right. but that one ball that went across the face yeah, of goal probably exactly. i think it was around the 64th minute or yeah. so um yeah yeah no he had to get something on that i'm yeah. sorry a center forward when that ball is played in that kind of distance from you you have pretty much only the keeper to beat and you are right in front of the goal centrally no, you chuck anything at that ball. You have to get something on that. Dempsey, you can't you just to. let that go across the face of goal. That will cost you. It did in this case. That goal would have made it one all. Yep. Could have completely changed the outcome of this game at that point. But yeah, to, to your point about Carlos Harvey, I think that we mentioned it on the on the post-game show about how Carlos Harvey was actually someone who was creating a good outlet for mm -hmm. them out of the back. And yeah. when, you, when you look at some of the passing data that we had, I mean... Last week, the passes were, I mean, all the top five combinations were some combination of defender to defender, defender to goalkeeper, goalkeeper to defender. Actually, two of the top five passing combinations this past game were Carlos Harvey to Renzo Zambrano and Renzo Zambrano back to Carlos Harvey. Yeah. And those passes were a lot higher up the pitch. What they do is paint a picture of how they are moving it out of that defense to those two Definitely. who are then working between the two of them to try and kickstart the attack out of the bag. Well, That's right. a massive improvement from before. And Absolutely. I know something that you personally highlighted here was actually the, the touch map for Carlos Harvey, which we Definitely. can have a look at here. And, for those of you, again, on audio, I'm sorry, sometimes <laughs> these things aren't the most helpful, but he's got touches all over that pitch. Like, that is just a mess. I don't know even where to pinpoint when you're looking at this. Yeah. You, it's hard to say what position he's playing. Well, and, that, and that's... But the, he's such everywhere. No, he, he, he's, he's here, he's there, he's every bleep and where. No, it, it's amazing. Like, really, in that first match, we saw that the man with the leading touches, I believe, was Daniel Crutzen, or it was it was one of the center backs. Carlos Harvey was the man in San Diego who had the most touches. And if as you're looking on this, I'll describe it as best I can for those who are on audio. He really is everywhere. His 
touches. It's a bit in that in between the fun, the um, his defensive third and the beginning of the midfield third. But really, he has touches in you know multiple touches in the offensive third in the eighteen yard box, even one right pretty much on the penalty spot. And it's something where he had a really nice movement of he um when they're on offense. He would transition from he'd drop into the back line when he needed to, but then just so seamlessly go forward into that, um, you know, that number kind of six, even in times a number eight role, not only would pass it forward, but would be able to carry the ball forward. He made that run in the first half where he took on three defenders and that was the one where the the shot just missed out. But I mean, shoot, he took on three guys, got fouled in there and he was doing that all match. A guy like that who's able to kind of be positionless in a way where, hey, I'll, I'll sit back in a defense when I need to. I can go forward when I need to. He's a guy who he has the capability to do that and you can see that reflected in the touch map. Yeah, just honestly, look, when we started that game, um, I, I was there chatting with some of the owners in San Diego at that time and and the comment that was just told to me was, look at Carlos Harvey, look at him, look at the fact that he is just a player who should not be at this level. He is high. He honestly probably deserves oh, more yeah. of a chance at a higher level than at Phoenix Rising. And he showed it. He showed it in Definitely. that game. He showed it the week before when he was on international duty yeah. with Panama and he gets that headed goal in there. He really, I think, and, and Michael says it in here, for sure, our best player. Yeah, he was. He was in that game. And I think that what it showed is some of those concerns from the first game about the way that the passing was quite stagnant. It was very slow. Yeah. It was just all along that back line. And they're going side to side and then back to the keeper and then to the other side. And it, it just, they didn't really have an outlet. Carlos Harvey can be that outlet. He can be the guy that turns what is a possession-based style that you worry sometimes can be quite stagnant yep. that can get trapped at the back. And that is the downside to the to, to the possessive-based style. It, yep. it can happen. It happens. Um, if you don't have the creativity in there, you're going to struggle to get it out of positions that, Definitely. you know, especially once you've given up the lead. Because the other team yeah. don't have to care. They don't have to press. They don't have to give you those spaces. Um, look, look it, it's... He's just a very, very good player in that kind of position. And, I mean, it actually shows, if you look at some of the numbers, right, you look at just the number of passes that were attempted in various different positions and compare it to that Charleston game. Mm -hmm. Against Charleston, 32% of Rising's attempted passes, they come in the opposition half. Against San Diego, that's up to 41%. Against Charleston, passes in the final third, 13% of the attempted passes come in the final third. 24% Better. against San Diego. There's still things that need to be sorted out here, okay? There yeah. are still things that they need to fix. I think one of the biggest things is that they're not really creating chances. They're not getting the final ball into the penalty area. They're not... I mean, even when they do work the ball in there, the finishing hasn't been great yeah. so far. But there's a definite, definite marked improvement just in how they were putting together and implementing Juan Guerra's style in terms of, you know, yes, you're you're working out at the back. You're playing a little bit slower, perhaps, in that sense. You're not playing the more direct style that we perhaps came used to seeing under Rick Chance, um, where the team looked to try and kind of knock it forward out wide to mm -hmm. the wingers who were quite pacey and and really attacking that way. No, this is a lot more measured. It's a lot more patient, the build-up. But it's starting to come together. 
even though the result was worse. Oh, it is. And I, and I think you even see that from game to game, that the first match against Charleston, so much of it was it was very um, side to side. There wasn't as much verticality. Yes, when they broke through, that was eventually the long ball in from Zambrano in, um, into excuse me, Gabby Torres, and then uh, the finish from Danny Trejo. You know, that was like the one bit of verticality you really saw in this in that first match versus this past one. They're still playing it out the back, but then it's that bypass into midfield. It's then carrying the ball forward. It's getting out to the wing. It was. It's not going to be that same balls that uh, consistently that you're seeing under the Rick Shan system where it's just over the top. It's going to corner. It's going to corner. They can play that when they need to, but that's just not where you're going to see the norm. And it was the little things where when you can bypass levels, where then you get Arteaga or whoever's playing up top in the mix where they're able to check down, lay it off. You saw a beautiful combination where you had um, Uzo to Ar- uh, to Trejo to Arteaga back to Uzo for a shot outside the box. It's those little combinations that they have the playmakers now in the midfield on the wings to do that. And once that starts happening, that's going to unlock this entire offense. But again, like we say with everything, it just takes time. Yeah, and I think, look, there's something here as well that I'd say, um, Max, you you brought up after the Charleston game, one of the stats that you like to to throw up there was the final third entries, right? And so in that game, Phoenix Rising had about half the number of final third entries that Charleston Battery had. Yep. In this game, Phoenix Rising had 37 final third entries to San Diego's 27. Yeah. So, I I mean, they, they're doing the right things. They're yeah. starting to do the right things. One of the biggest problems here, and I, I, know, I know Michael's going to pounce on this one because we understand, Michael, there in the chat that you have an anti-Artiaga agenda. It's the shots. And it's not just Artiaga. It's, it's the entire team. The shooting is relatively mediocre. I mean, if, if we take a look in just a second now about the, the shot map from, from that game, mm-hmm. you can see here. So there are, on, on the left-hand side, you 